Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL where we are going to talk about fishing. And for uh, the second week in a row, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled day four on Thursday, which, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's the <laughs> day of the week, which is where Mark Jeffries several years ago came up with that very original name, uh, day four. But uh, I told you, well, first of all, what's up, Uncle Frank? Dude, I'm so good at sickening. <laughs> yeah, uh, I told all the listeners yesterday, no show tomorrow because I'm going to chase a uh, double-digit hog with uh, Brandon Burke somewhere in the Lone Star State. He's setting me the pin tonight. I think he caught two double digits yesterday. I've not gotten in on that craze over the last couple, well, I guess, what, four years ago when it broke at Ivy, and now it's happened in all these different places. Had an opportunity, had to take it. So sorry, the fisherman came out at me, so no show tomorrow. No, Can I, you blame I, me, Frank? No, I'd be I'd be so pissed if you passed that up to do, to do a show. <laughs> I would be like, wait, what are you, crazy? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to take it as you have an opportunity to, to you have an opportunity to to get a PB. You have to take it. You have absolutely. To. Yeah, my PB 11.4 uh, when we were working on the show last night, I was telling you the story about how my personal best cost me three rods and a net, but I got it in the boat. And it's so worth it, dude. I'd break three rods to, to catch one over 11 every day. I uh. I saw it. And I mean, on the hook set, when I stepped back, it was, I mean, very few times in life do you get to set the hook on a bass and know that it's a bass and, and the, it just does not move. Like everything performs perfectly. You have the right rod, the right line, the hook buries, and it's just one of those and it just stops. And I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's where you get like the, the bruise on your side from the one hook set. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of times we're catching these little suckers and we're cranking them in skiing them in even a three pounder now you can yeah. get that sucker in but man when you thwack one and it just stops i mean that's is there a better feeling no there's not there there really is not i mean it's um it one of my favorite you know one of my favorite things about fishing is that the, the cool thing about our sport is you could you could ha- you could have the greatest time in the world at any possible level of the game. You could be a, a bank guy dunking a crawler under a bobber and have the most fun of your life doing it. You could be an ardent pro traveling the circuit and have the best time of your life doing it. You, you know, you could you could be a trophy hunter and have the best time doing it or or you could just go and catch creek chub in a creek. And have the best time. That's why our sport is so fantastic because it really doesn't have a lot of limits on it. Um, You know, you you don't have to be the most physically fit human being in the world. You, you know, there's a lot of things that, that our sport opens the door to a wide array of people. And that's the cool thing about our sport. But, but you have a shot at a PB bass. You have to go. I mean, you have to go. That's just, (laughs) If you'd have said, dude, I'm going to pass it up, I'd be like, the show's canceled. <laughs> so here, here's what I like about it. So let's just do a little dirty math here. Let's say we all live to be 80 years old, God willing. Hopefully. That's 29,200 days. There's obviously some memorable days in that. A lot of the milestones I have not, I have not reached yet, or who knows, 
whatever if I do <laughs> marriage, children, that type of stuff, right? I'm with you. I'm so I'm then. Tracking. So then, let's say how many hours that is. That's seven hundred thousand eight hundred hours, right? Right. So then, divide that times sixty which would give you the number of minutes. Let's say a big bass, you fight it for five minutes. That's 42 million, 48,000 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm just saying there's something, there's very few of those minutes that for the rest of your life, you can look back on and remember every single detail. Oh yeah. It, yeah. Vividly. And, vividly. And the weird thing about, a personal best, a giant bass or something like that is I, I would venture to say that anybody listening or watching this, me and you included, can vividly remember that minute and a half last week, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 right. years ago when they hooked that fish of a lifetime. Oh, dude, it's it's permanently burned in your brain. It's permanently burned in. If it's not, then you got to pick another sport. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like here, the biggest bass I ever had on my life was at Clear Lake in California. I'm not a hundred percent sure how big it is, but the dude that I, my non-boater that was with me lived on the lake and he said he'd never seen one there that big. I had three other ones staked out that were also giant biggest bass I've ever seen in my life. Um, Kevin Worth got on two of the ones that I had found spawning way offshore. He found them too. He got on them. He landed the one and it was 13 pounds and he broke the other one off. I had another one on a dock and I ran, I ran to the dock and I got that one. And I, I, he wouldn't take any of the traditional mm -hmm. stuff. She was spawning. She was on a bed and she, and I could just see her nose come out from the dock pole every now and then. And I had a real hard time getting the sweet spot because you know how it is that one quarter yeah. size spot in that bed. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't reach all of the bed. I can only reach a certain portion of it. She wouldn't take, she wouldn't even look at nothing. So I put a, I put an eight inch straight tail worm on a shaky head and I flipped it out in there. And that thing slithered down that dock pole. She came around and smoked it, and I, I hammered her. She got me all wrapped around all the poles. You can and probably imagine, picture every single detail of that right now as you tell the story. Every, every, it's like, it's like vivid. It's like, it's like a movie in my head. And I was using a uh, spinning rod with ten pound fluoro, and I, and she had me around everything. And I looked at my non boater and I said. I'm going to bust this fish off. She's got me around two or three of the poles. And so all I did was I held the pressure on her and she was doing her thing. And I was trying not to seesaw the line around the poles. Well, she swam her way out around them and headed out to the main lake. I spun the nose of the boat around and got as far away from that dock as I could, could with her fighting me. And I looked at my Nam boater. I said, I got her. I say, there is nothing out here. I got her and I'm fighting her. I'm taking my time back, reeling her the whole nine yards, doing everything. And she takes a beeline right back for the dock and she's peeling drag. Couldn't I couldn't, couldn't keep up with the back reel. So I just had to let her go. And she went back underneath that dang dock and wrapped me around the pole and broke off. 
And I was like, I had my hands in my head, you know, like that. And that dude looks at me and he goes, dude, that fish was over 14 pounds. Oh. And, I, and I was like, oh my God, it was, I mean, it looked like I hooked a grass carp. Oh, I mean, it, it was humongous. And um, I'll never forget that. And I came in and that tournament, I came in with <laughs> like 20 pounds every day. And I think I finished 79. <laughs> it was a slug fest. Yeah. You remember the loss with that? That reminds me. I think I've told the story before. Hell, we'll tell big bass stories for a while. We have some breaking news on BTL. We have some cool designs. We're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into a little deep dive into uh, varying weight on basic lures to to up your catch ratio. Frank's going to talk about that. And uh, I have a couple of tricks to up your spinnerbait game. And then I'll, I'll show it right now, but we'll get into that. There's a new color dropping. I happen to have two of the first five, I think, that you ever painted. Oh, yeah. But uh, while we're talking big bass stories, so it's Sam Rayburn. And, you know, there's just like, like that's why I'm so excited about tomorrow, Frank, is because of the possibility, the opportunity, right? I mean, it's not like we're going out on the Sabine River and it's like, God, we might catch a pounder. <laughs> Or an alligator guard. But when you're out on Rayburn, like, you know what lives there, right? I mean, you know you're on a lake that guys have weighed in 48 pounds in a tournament. And oh, there's yeah. been freaking share line. There's been tons of stuff. And and then you think about all the times you fish and the few times you hook a, a fish of a lifetime like that. And then for it to be when it counts, oh, like you good. did. Is yeah. I mean, just for all those things to converge and come together. Yeah. So, you know, I'm throwing a drop shot on a on a pile and 25 foot on the main lake. And and I knew that this was a possibility. So I had I had gone up to 20 pound braid on my spinning rod. I had a seven four medium heavy spinning rod and I had 14 pound leader. I had also okay. fashioned some three aught uh gamagatsu straight shank uh just worm hooks but but i put the keeper on i beefed it up a little bit i just knew that when i stuck one i needed to stick it get it through be able to move it out at least have a fighting chance right it's got to come out of the cover. and man i can i can picture this i can picture it in my head and this was this was this was two years ago now i mean i can picture every single instance of it i can visually i vividly remember what i was thinking when i cast into that pile and you know it went it, it just, it was just a bite that you just went, oh my God. Yeah. You just knew. Man. And it went, Vroom. and I said, I said, that's a, that's a freaking giant before I even set the hook. And I mean, I reeled in and I gave it the beans and I said, she's hung up and I could just feel it just, just barely moving. And I mean, my rods doubled over and I'm just holding it there and I'm just like, please come out, please come out. And I'm thinking this is a six, seven pounder. And, and I'm like, I'm like moving and there's nothing, but, but my line is moving away from the brush pile. And in my oh, head, so it's got you around a lid. No, no, it's the damn fish, Frank. There's no <laughs> lid. There's nothing. It's straight. 100% Texas beef. That's and I said, it. oh my God, it's not in the brush pile anymore. I said, that's all fish. And it's just slow going out. And I'm like, is it a, and about when I remember thinking about, is it a bass? The line started coming up real slow. Oh man. And oh, I'm wow. like, it, I mean, I can't do anything here. She comes tick the trolling motor out holding. It comes up and I'm with a, a local. I drawn a local there and this thing comes up and I can picture the bug eyes, the pop belly, Just the, the weight flying, you know, the weight I had like a tw eight to 12 inch leader. And it was just like by the gill. I remember that, like, that's how big it was. 
and it was well over 12. Oh my God, dude. And, and, uh, it comes up and just, I mean, Bassmaster jump, like straight Bassmaster slow motion, straight out of the movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, my God, that's the biggest bass I've ever seen on Rayburn. And I fished here for 25 years. And I said, I freaking have her. That's what I said. I said, I got her. I said, I'm, I got through the, the deal. I got through the jump. Right. You're home free. Came up, wallowed again, 30 feet out. I'm like, just take my time. Keep my drag tight. Just slow, real. I'm, I'm telling myself I got all the time got all the time in the world. Just take it. I said, I said, would you mind moving? Uh, and I knew this guy was legit. He was a good angler. Right. So I said, would you mind moving all of the rods off my side and all of your rods over to the passenger, the driver's side? This is how much time we had. I said, I'm going to have you sit down and I'm going to bring her by. I said, and vice grip that sucker. And, uh, it comes down and I get it like kind of straight to the boat and it, it kind of goes down and a little bit up towards the trolling motor. And then it's just gone. Ah, just like nothing. Yeah. Didn't jump off. Didn't pull off nothing. I mean, it was just a steady pull and it just popped free. Oh my God. And I mean, it, it, it was probably a minute and a half, two minutes. I mean, it was a, it was a long time. Like I had it whipped and I just remember my first thing was I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and you're like, please. He said, man, he goes, I've been in the boat with a lot of guys. He goes, and I really don't care how the guy in the front does. He goes, but I am genuinely sick to my stomach for you right now. And I said, how big was that? And he goes, I, I don't even want to venture a guess, dude. Yeah, it's insane. We don't, you don't have opportunities like that all the time. Like, I, like, like, I, like on Lake Erie, my biggest smallmouth uh, was seven one. Mm. a legit seven one and and i caught a 615 on the next cast and it was um i didn't realize how big that fish was when i was fighting it in it was just a big small mouth and it was fighting like a maniac and i just you know fought him up to the boat i was doing an osi gig you guys heard the story Mm -hmm. a hundred times it's a hundred percent texas beef And, and, um, I didn't realize what I had until I actually grabbed that thing. And when I reached down and got them, you know how you belly land them? When I reached down and got them and, and I couldn't balance them in my hand, I was like, holy crap. And then I freaking bear hugged them and got them in the boat, got her in the boat. Um, it was spectacular. I'd love to have like a psychologist on BTL to talk about like what it does to the brain when something like that happens. Cause there's gotta be some, there's some sort of chemical reaction or something that makes you, that sears that into your memory forever. Oh, hundred percent. And how about it? How about the slow motion, dude? Yeah. I mean, it does. Have you experienced the slow motion? hundred percent. It's like the whole world slows way down. It's like it's not happening fast anymore. It's going real slow. It, I was in a car wreck and I got thrown out of the vehicle, oh, and that geez. that happened to me when I got launched out of the window. Everything the minute the the minute the car t boned me and I went out of my vehicle, everything was in slow motion. Like I saw shards of glass. Mm-hmm. I saw all kinds of stuff going by me, but it, none of it was going fast. It was all super slow motion. A little crazy. bit surreal. I wonder if that's also why you have some guys who are better at catching 
big fish because they have more practice and instead of it being almost an out of body experience, they just ho hum another day in the office. It's very possible. It's like, um, my, my brother's an insane deer hunter. I, I can't even tell you how many deer he's killed and, and big giants. Um, and he, he is, he's like, get all you, all the doe tags you can get and practice on the doe because you, when that big buck comes around, you don't want to be thinking about it. You, mm-hmm. you just want it to be like turning your turn signal on and then let it rip. Um, because if you, if you start thinking about it and you start looking at the antlers, he goes, all kinds of things start going through your head. He goes, you got to have it. It's got to be second nature. You don't even think about it. You know, don't think about the trophy at all. You think about the shot and where it's going and only that. Um, so it's, it's gotta be the same thing. Cause you know, you know how, you know how it is, dude. There's some, there's some guys that just, they panic. Um, mm-hmm. they get a big one on and they panic. It's, it's always a panic. It's never, a I got them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you said, I got this one. Same thing, same thing with the big one when he swam out in open water. I said, I got him. Don't worry about it. He's come, she's coming in the boat. Um, real calm, nothing, nothing crazy. Now I, I shake like a wild man when the thing got off. I was literally yeah. on the floor of my boat shaking with um adrenaline. I couldn't even pick No, up yeah, I was done for 20 minutes too. Uh in fact, I re-rigged, I put a new leader line on, which I, took me forever. You know, I'm, I'm talking the whole time. What the hell? How the hell did that happen? Well, right, oh my right. God, it was so big. And then you go through that. I'm not even mad because I didn't do anything wrong. I'm glad I got to see it. Why the hell did it have to bite? Screw that fish. I mean, you go through the whole line of right. emotions. And I remember I went back up and I made one cast and it hit the bottom and I just cranked it in. And I said, dude, we're out of here. I said, I can't, <laughs> I can't be here right now. I said, we can come back in 20 minutes. We can come back in half an hour. I said, I have to clear my head. I have to run somewhere else. Oh yeah, dude, it's true. It's a hundred percent true, um, without a doubt. Um, I, I could I could hardly collect myself uh, when that fish came off. Now, when I was fighting it and everything, I was calm as a cucumber. But the yeah. minute I lost her, I, I started shaking uncontrollably, and I was like, and I and it wasn't the fact that it was a Bassmaster event; it was the fact that that was the biggest bass I'd ever seen in my entire life. And probably will never see another one that big. Is that the, that's gotta be the addiction. That's gotta be like seeing triple sevens. Oh dude. When the bars come up, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. It's it's the most, this like, like my wife always says, how do you, how do you go fishing all the time? And, and, and you're always excited to go fishing. Do you love it that much? And I said, every time I get a bite as exciting as the first time I get a bite. Mm-hmm. it's just that's just that you know like the crappie game dude i mean i'm i've been chasing crappies for every the last three times out all i've been doing is crappie fishing because i'm learning i'm learning new things not new how to crappie fish i'm learning forward facing i'm learning a lot of different techniques and and designing so I could design lures appropriately for those techniques. And it's so exciting to me. Um, and you started the whole crappie craze. I just got to blame you for that because you, we, we caught crappies that in Ohio, we just, you don't see, 
I mean, you just don't see them like that every now and then, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's not like what you guys have. You guys have something special where you're at. Um, and, and so it's just, it's great. I mean, it's exciting. And here, the, the only way I can describe how, what fishing does to you, if you truly love the sport, what fishing does to you, there's no faster time on earth than the day you fish. <laughs> The, you, I don't care if you're eight hours in the boat or 12 hours in the boat. It goes by like that. Yep. You know, and you sit at work for 12 hours and after the third hour, you're wishing you were home already. Okay. But when you're on the lake, an hour seems like a minute. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just, it's motoring by. I agree. Sam has said he's not quite two years into his fishing career, limited to a kayak, but it's PB is a 4.5 largemouth. I, I think the other cool thing about fishing is there are certain fish that stick out. You know, we're talking about the monsters, but that first oh, big yeah. one or that's big to you. Like, I, I mean, it, I got and, and it's a skin mount. It's a real mount because they didn't really do that back in the day. But no, I was I was 12 years old and we were up in Canada and my dad had always told me the first four pound smallmouth you catch, I'll get it mounted for you. And, you know, like went up there every year. So, I mean, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. all I was thinking was four pound, smallmouth, four pound, smallmouth. And I remember we were in Lily Bay and I cast a, an S 11 floating Rapala. <laughs> we were in this like little narrow channel that led up to a portage to go into this other lake. And we were up in there and I cast this thing and this thing swirled as soon as it hit the surface. And I thought it was a pike and I cast back in there and I hooked it. And I just remember, thinking, oh my God, it's a four pound smallmouth. <laughs> and I mean, I, I still have that picture of me with it on the, on the stringer, but I mean, hell that was, I was 11, 12 years old and oh, I'm yeah. almost 40 now. And I, I can picture the exact stump, the reeds, everything, the fish bite, the jump, the rest of the day. I mean, it's, it's burned in there forever. So yeah, that's the beauty part about this game. Um, it's so, it's so cool. I mean, it is so cool. I mean, like I, I remember, um, Frankie's PB, he caught it with me. I remember everything about it in massive detail. We were Carolina rigging and, and he jacks one about eight and, um, and, and he, he's like, holy smokes. And, and I said, dude, that might be a carp or a catfish. Cause in Ohio, we don't have fish like yeah. Regularly like that. And I said, that's gotta be a carp or a catfish. And then all of a sudden, just like you said, dude, his line starts coming up and I'm like, Oh good God. I said, just get him to the boat, dude. Just get him to the boat. <laughs> and he gets it to the boat and I osprey that thing with both hands. Yeah. It was like, Holy smokes, you know, and here, you know, you know, the funny thing about this is the guy that you were fishing with, <laughs> you lost that big one think about the pressure that dude is under knowing that he's got to snatch that fish for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just put, you put so much because we had had a talk before, like, Hey man, I don't want to put anything on you. I can handle my fish. Don't worry about it. But then right. that thing comes up and I'm on a spinning rod and I know this guy's a stick. Like he's not a guy who's going to be like, you know, fingering, yeah. fimbling oh, around. <laughs> oh, bummer. I got like, I mean, he was, 
yeah, yeah I mean, dude, there's the only person that's under more pressure than you while you're fighting one is the guy who's tasked with netting or landing it. Oh, a hundred percent, dude. One, have one you ever thousand. have you ever botched a job or been on the end of a, a either end of like a botched both. record class fish? Both. I, I I was on both ends of that fence. Um, a lot of times, like I hate the net when 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 we had a no net rule when I fish bass, and so I I I just never used a net. In fact, when I fun fish, I never use a net. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the only time I even bring it with me is if I'm on heavy musky or pike lakes, because it's trying to grab a pike or a musky with a crankbait on the side of their face. It's, it's, it's suicidal. So that's the only time I would have a net in the boat. And so, um, you know, with the net, you do things differently you're 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 rushing the fish to get them in the net because that you think the net's the safety valve but what happens is you're doing things so much differently than you normally do you create mistakes for yourself and so more often than not i don't i don't well i don't net them i in fact when i in the tournament trail i would tell my non-boaters i i got all my fish don't even monkey with them just stay out of my way when i'm you know when i'm landing them and then uh what happened was we were on Ufala the year I the, the the year I made the classic and um the guy in the bow with me was a was amazing um he was absolutely amazing um I I I had it was a, like an 84 and I thought it was a mudfish a bowfin and so when I when he got me, because he's the way the, the way he swam by the boat, he looked long and slender. And I'm like, oh man, it's a it's a bowfin. So I re- reach down and I start yanking on him and I turn him and his face comes out of the water. It's a giant bass. My nine boater gets over to the side of the boat and, and in one motion he goes, whoa, whoa, and the bass is in the boat. And so he landed all my fish that day. Mm-hmm. And I and I go. I told him, I said, dude, I appreciate it. Cause I, they were all flipping fish and I had them all staked out from practice. I knew where they were. So I told him and he didn't even fish. He just grabbed every one of them and he, you know, he got every one of them. And I told him, I said, come on, I got a place. I'll get you a limit. I said, I, I'm, I'm nervous because I got to run the opposite direction of the way in. But I said, you did me a solid. So let's go get them. And, um, he was stoked. And I go, what do you think? I got about 18, 19 pounds. And he started laughing. He goes, dude, did you look at any of those fish? I go, no, man. I just popped them off and dropped them in the well. And he goes, you got about 24 pounds or 25 pounds. <laughs> like, holy shit. You know what I mean? I couldn't yeah. believe it. So, but anyhow, it was really cool. I mean, he was a good guy. He grabbed every single fish. I called him the Osprey the whole day. After that, I said, dude, you're, you're a human osprey. I've got my PB. I was trying to find it. I can't find it. I have my PB smallmouth when I thought I had a drum on the St. Lawrence. Have you ever seen that video? No. Because you, got, you have it pulled up. I'm trying to pull it up uh, because it was, so I've been on the both end of that too, but I did the same thing on the St. Lawrence in 2021 but I have a horrible habit of just start screaming, grab them, 
grab him, grab him to a guy that I've never met before. Wait a second. And I just calm. turn into kind of an asshole. I'm not going to lie, but I black out. I don't even remember it. And then he, he grabs the fish. He looks at you and goes, I hope I never draw with you again. <laughs> Something like that. I got to hold on. Uh, pause it. I got to, I got to find this one. Uh, but no, I, so I had one when I was, uh, when I was fishing with the Assumption Bass Club, I had Doug Foster, and they still call it pulling a Foster. Doug, uh, uh, thinking about you, I know he's going through some health stuff now, but one of the most genuine, nice guys, longtime president of the Assumption Bass Club. Long story short, we were on Lake Decatur that has like six fish in it. And I hooked like <laughs> the lake record, I think, was five something, and I hooked like a six and a half or a seven. Vividly remember this. And it swims past the boat, and we're both freaking out. Like, this is does not happen in Illinois. And he stabs at it with the net and he gets the, I think I've told this story before. Do you remember this one? No, he gets, you remember this one? No, God, no, even worse. He gets the rivet that connects the net to the handle caught behind my line about four, about four foot in front of the fish. So now every time I can't fight it because now my line is wedged in between the rivet that connects the net handle to the net. And every time he goes to scoop it, the fish gets extra line and so he's sitting there going like this. And every time he moves it, the fish is going around it straightened my hook and pulled off. And it was, oh a, it was you know, it was a certified lake record. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm surprised the rivet didn't cut your line. Yeah. So was I, like, I mean, that was really some, surprised. Yeah. I mean, that was some, some strand mono back then. Well, that's, that's why, <laughs> that's why it has more stretch than a rubber band. Yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I think. I know why I can't find it is because I made it uh I made it private. Gotcha. I made it private before I uh Oh, here we go. I found it cuz it's See? worth. Better make sure you're pulling up the right one. Yeah, I know. May June There it is. Let's see this video. All right. This is. Hold on. Let me mute it. Let me get to the the point where I hook it because it has everything that we've talked about in here. Were you screaming? Grab him, grab him. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. All right. Here we go. All right. Throw it Uh, Stop screen, present, share screen, entire screen, because we need some audio. All right, you see it? Got it. All right, here we go. Let me know if you can hear it. Yep. There's music, by the way. It shouldn't be music. Grab him, grab him, grab him. Yeah, baby! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Oh! <laughs> oh my god, I needed that so bad! Bam! Oh! Yes! <laughs> I mean, can you blame me, dude? It's it's the, the last 45 minutes. I got four fish in the boat. And it's a 6-6 six, six smallmouth. <laughs> You're very calm, Matt. Did you hear me say, grab him? Yeah, grab him, of course grab I did. It, it's, a, it's a major issue that I have, Frank. That's okay. I mean, that's what 
<laughs> that is so funny, dude. My kids fish with me. They go, Dad, you don't, we don't even know you got one on. Because <laughs> I, I hook them and I just start fighting them. I go, hey, guys, that's a big fish. <laughs> it is. Uh, I did that to uh, my co-eggler at Rayburn, too, on a seven-pounder. I'm screaming at him, and he's like, where's the net? And well, I put the net up, and I'm like, I put the net up! <laughs> going, Sorry. And then I started screaming, well, hell, uh, do you have anything to do? We might go long today. No, no. Hey, I, I live for I live for day four. Okay. On day three. Uh, I got to show this one, because I need your assessment on this one, too. Uh, because I started screaming, I told you so. Immediately after landing it, which for some reason, the poor guy's just in the back of my boat. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I started screaming. I told you so. That is so funny, dude. <clears throat> I'd knock you right out of the boat if you were fishing with me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny, man. You get amped up, dude. But that was justified, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's your personality. It's who you are. I mean, what are you, you going to do? You know what I'm saying? No, I hear you. Right. I, I'm 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 way more reserved when I'm fighting a fish. I barely even speak. All right. Uh, let me bring this one in, and then I want to get your analysis on this. So this was also to make the top ten in a Toyota series. This was four years ago. See, the cool thing is, I uh, like I'm not a huge. Uh, it's weird, but. Uh, but uh, I need to start videoing again more. All right, here it is. Rayburn. Can you hear it? Yeah. Okay. First of all, watch right there. Number five was in a tree. Oh, my God, that was a fish. What was it? It was a tree, and it wasn't a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it three times. Watch this. I felt it. Oh. oh, there he was again. I, I oh, mean, I'm just chatting with the guy, and I turned it to a... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> celebration wasn't uh, too excessive. He had it. Tell me. <laughs> because you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I just start yelling net. I can't help it. That's so funny, dude. I mean, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> You're supposed to do what you did. Get him in the damn boat. Oh, my gosh. That got me all fired up. I had all sorts of stuff. Well, you're going to be fired up tomorrow when you go chase them big bastards. So Yeah. Is that what started this whole thing? I think it was. Okay. I got what I wanted to show everybody. Well, there you go. Mission accomplished. All right. I got to, we got to refocus here. I'm all jacked up now. Uh, oh, so the reason we were two minutes late today, Frank, what were we looking at? Wow, dude, we were looking at the new merch. So, so, so basically the three bass design and then we split it up. And we changed some things around. Check it, check that out. Those shirts, That's those are going to be nice shirts. Freaking awesome! So we got a large mouth, a spot, and a smallie. Yeah, 
and different colors. They did a great job over at ATS. Mark with the comment of the year. So basically Matt yells and screams at non-boaters and Frank yells at anyone that comes in on them to each their own. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's a fact. That's, that's as loud as I ever will get in a boat (laughs) right there. (laughs) Anyway, check these drops out. They did a great job. You got the large mouth, the small mouth in the spot. We got a big Frank Scalish. It's definitely a signature series piece. We're going with some heavier tees that don't show nipples or anything that you do not need to be shown to the general public. Yeah. So if you're not like, you know, Charles Atlas or a bodybuilder, um, the, these these shirts will be good for you. I don't even know who Charles Atlas is. I'm not he he was a he was a bodybuilder okay. back in the day. So I, I well no Charles Atlas was like a Greek I guy. He invented me. maps. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit. Don't you remember the dude holding the world up? That's like that's a dude from. Like Greek mythology. Okay, so you're so if you're not built like a god, you can okay. wear this dang shirt. And if you are built like a god, you could still wear it. And it'll and it'll just look get better. a medium. Yeah, it'll look better anyway, on you than me. There's some of the cool designs. We're excited about that. That should be dropping in the next couple. Yeah, that's Hercules. And then this one, we still have to work on this. We're trying to get this white down here, but this is like a, a sun tea, a sublimated tea with a Frank Scalish design. Yeah, the four color. And then some hat drops. Uh, what else do we have up there? Eh, we're going to change some of that stuff. Look at that. There's a cool one. Uh, there, there we go. There's a new hoodie. We're actually going to put that, I think, on the front, but there's a bunch of... Uh, a and that's, cool and that was a good that was a good hoodie. That was a high quality hoodie. Yes. Like the like the day four hoodie that we had before. Right on. So that'll be there for all of your holiday shopping. Well, if I mean if merch needs. Yeah, and if we're talking about new stuff, tomorrow is gonna break um the a real crappie color that I did. Um Matt, you have you have the original in front of you. It's a it's a real crappie pattern. It looks it looks so cool. The pearls in it are really nice. Um, it's a, it's a bass crankbait, but I made it look like a crappie. It was called what I you sent them to me. Hell, yeah, I, I, this was the first thing you ever sent to me. It's in a lure net package, and there's two of them, and it says BTL crappie on it. Right, because originally I was going to make them. And they were going to be, it was going to be a BTL only release, but now it's going to be um, a limited edition release on LureNet and it's called Real Crappie. Those are freaking awesome. And you were saying the other day, you, they, they, you wish they would make that in a crankbait. Yeah, hundred percent because it's a really cool color and there's so many of these little crappie in Oklahoma that are around the, that are around the piles and that bandit. 200 gets right over the top of them, you know, little, little four to six inch crappie that are just like magnets around the brush piles. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then of course the BTL 23 code is um, good until the end of December, 15% off. So take advantage of that. I have no idea. What, what the hell are we talking about today? I'm all, we're going to do, we're going to do weights. Um, How to pick the right size weight. Are we ready to get into it? Um, we, we sure, I mean, we sure can, don't we have a contest we want to promote? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm all over the map. All right. So last week, uh, 
last week we got the idea to do a BTL day four or Uncle Frank pumpkin carving contest. And we've got and, and it, yeah, and it could be anything fishing related. We've gotten a couple really good submissions already that are in the hopper. Frank is gonna judge them because I don't like being unliked by the non-winner. So I'll just the show, <laughs> I'll just put that on Frank. But Perfect. Uh, with with Halloween coming up today is the 25th. Uh, we will announce the winner on November 2nd. So that gives you a full week. So if you're carving pumpkins with your kids, with a date, with your wife, whatever, you're by yourself in a basement, have at it. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I, I didn't want to exclude anyone, Frank. Well, you did a good job of not. Um, but the prize giveaway is. Yeah. So you came up with a great prize. A hundred percent. I mean, this. I, we're going to give away the full new color release and all the DD-22s, and we're going to give away the the new full color release in the Norman Fat Boys. So you're going to get a pile of lures. I mean, a pile. A pile. Ooh, the, the silence. Dead air silence. Well... <laughs> That's because I'm doing that. Send photo of your BTL day four pumpkin to Matt at Basson.com by November 1st. Perfect. A full, a full set of the DD 22s and a full set of the Norman fat boys for the top two, the top two pumpkins that are submitted. Matt at Basson.com. You can also. Okay. So uh, if we're doing the top two pumpkins, then the winner's going to get the DD 22s. And the guy and the runner up is going to get the fat boys. Okay. That works. Uh, you can also submit your pumpkins on Instagram by simply tagging Frank Scalish and myself at Matt Pangrack. And then we'll get together next Wednesday. And we are going to decide this as a unit, as a team. So if anyone gets mad, they can get mad at both of us. There's a couple strong submissions already that we've had. Uh, there is that we've had turned in via email. So Matt at Basson.com, tag Frank Scalish on Instagram, tag Matt Pangrak on Instagram. You can also submit it that way. But maybe a little bit of an extra incentive to spend some extra time picking out your pumpkin this year, or going to the pumpkin patch with the kids. You have yeah, that's right. You have a private motivation. Yeah. And you could you could say you could take the family to go get pumpkins and then and then really it's because you want to win this contest <laughs> and they don't yeah. have to know. Yeah, what what kind of pumpkin? Like, yeah, you I mean you be creative, but I mean just your standard like jack-o'-lantern pumpkin card. I guess if you wanted to draw on it, you do whatever you want. We just want it to be cool and a pumpkin. Yeah, just just be creative. Be creative. Be creative. That's all. Ooh, Garrett said he went to a yard sale this past week and found a ton of old Norman lures. Probably the old ones you didn't paint. No, the old ones I probably didn't paint. Um, but that's okay because some of those old ones, those colors are gone. So hang on to that. All right. I need to make you big screen and shut up and hear about this weight deal because this is something that uh, that I've been wanting to hear. Okay, so... So to get into this, I'm going to take the easiest first, and and I'm going to work down the line. Um, and Matt, if you have any, anything to interject, interject. Um, so a lot a lot of confusion that I see is is 
how, what weights do I need? What weights should I use? You know, how heavy, how light, blah, blah, blah. So the first thing I want to cover is punching, because in my opinion, punching is probably the easiest. It's the easiest to handle. We're going to talk about three weight sizes, a half ounce, a three quarter ounce, and then one ounce or bigger. And I'm going to include the one ounce or bigger in one bracket because I'm not going through every you know, eighth of an ounce difference. Not going to do that. So my my number one rule of thumb, and you'll hear me say this all the time, any especially with you know punching, slip sinkers, whatever. Um, you always want the lightest weight possible and can still penetrate the cover, um, because if you can't get through the cover, you're it's it's a moot point. You're not you're not heavy enough. Um, the other thing is when you're punching, you're going out punching. Pay attention to the bite. Does the, does the bite come as soon as it breaks through the vegetation? Does it come as it's falling down through the vegetation? Or does it come when it hits the bottom, if you slam it on the bottom a couple of times? So if the bite comes as soon as it goes through the vegetation, that means the bass is up against the mat. Crayfish will literally crawl underneath these mats and eat the bugs and insects off the mats and so they're literally be upside down latched onto the mat doing their thing so every time i punch the minute it starts to fall through the vegetation i pick it up against the underneath side of the mat so it goes through the mat and then i pick it up so i'm bouncing it on the mat then i let it on a controlled line i let it go down controlled let it go down if the bite comes as the bait's falling, the bass are suspended in the caverns that the grass make. Okay, this is important because if it's if it's if it's coming through as it's falling, your lighter weight is going to fall slower, giving the bass more of a time to get to, to that bait before it poofs into the bottom. So the other thing you want to pay attention to, like a lot of times when I punch, the first thing I do is I get it through the mat pop it on the mat a couple times, let it go down. When it hits the bottom, I lift it up and let it pound into the bottom and pound into the bottom. It creates a dust cloud. And then if, if I do that a couple times and then I get the bite, then I know the bass are on the bottom and they're, they're relating to where the root balls of the vegetation are. Mm -hmm. So that tells me two things. I need a heavier weight because I want to go down the center of that those vegetation bombs okay. i want to get down in the center of it so i get to the roots if it comes as a fall i'll use a little lighter weight so they hit it on the drop and then of course pumping it up on top of the mat you control it so if you need a heavier weight to get through the mat that's okay you just don't let it go all the way down first you just keep it up there a couple seconds then let it go down so so that's kind of the punching game and it's pretty easy there's not much more to it than that and so don't make more out of it than that probably the most complicated is the slip sinker rig pitch in flip in etc where you got a soft plastic slip sinker this is where things get really confusing um i have a buddy of mine that 
won't put anything on his slip sinker rig except a three eighths or a half. That's what he fishes. Um, and I'm like, dude, you, you got to lighten the load. The cover's not that heavy. The bass are not, you know, they're not buried up. They're, they're relating to the cover. You got to give them something lighter. So my rule of thumb with the slip sinker rig is the same thing I do with punching. I use the absolute lightest weight I can get by with and still fish whatever type of cover I'm fishing effectively. Effectively all the time basically doesn't mean it's got to go through and go to the bottom because a lot of times in wood blowdowns, bush tops and stuff like that, the bass are suspended in there somewhere. And so if you're thinking right through, a lot of times the bass don't react to it. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes they will react to the fast and they go get it. But a lot of times if that thing is slithering through there, it's alive and it's moving and the bass have ample time to get to it. So here, look, I'll give you a perfect example. I was on Okeechobee and I was actually at the time I was flipping a zoom super fluke and I had two of them rigged up. And so what I found was a one sixteenth and a one eighth ounce slip sinker was the deal. Anything heavier and no weight didn't work. So what was happening was these females were setting up on these um, big mother-in-law tongues to spawn up against them. And what I found was that these baits with the light, very lightweight, they would nose dip on them. You know, when I'd flip it in there, they would nose dip, tail up, and it looked just like a golden shiner or a bluegill rooting around in the bed. And and that was the whole key to getting to getting bit. And so and when I and the wind was blowing like a hurricane on the one day, and I went to a three sixteenth and couldn't get a couldn't get a, a, a touch on it, so it had to be the lighter weight. Another example is on Ufala, where I told you my non-boater grabbed that one over eight pounds for me and it grabbed all my fish. The heaviest slip sinker I flipped that day was a quarter ounce. It was three sixteenths and a quarter. And I just had two rods rigged up with that on it because mm -hmm. the bass were in the bush tops. The water was coming up every single day in that event. There was three feet more water on the stuff. This, this, when I found them in practice, the water was down. The first day of the tournament, there was three feet of water on top of the bushes because these were all in bush tops. That lightweight that lizard would just glide through those branches and I would just feather it down through the branches and let it go down. And then my line would tighten up. Mm -hmm. um, those fish didn't want nothing on the bottom. They wanted everything mid mid range in that bush top. So that's where the lighter sinker was more appealing. Now, conversely, if I'm fishing grass and I'm fishing and it's some of it's deep grass, like out to 10, 12 feet of water, I'm going to go to a half ounce, three eighths or a half ounce because I want, I want that thing rooting around in the immature, deeper vegetation and where the bass are buried up into the grass. I, I got to get into the grass to catch the fish where the lighter slip sinker will stay on top. And if there's nine feet of water or seven feet of water, 
you know, in that grass column, your light sinker is never going to get to where the bass are. So you got to get down to where the fish are at. So you have to pay attention to what's around you um, to recognize, you know, what type of weight you're going to use. General rule of thumb with me is I'm kind of always fishing three sixteenths quarter around wood, blowdowns, et cetera. Deep brush piles, I'll go to a quarter, five sixteenths, sometimes a three eighths um, because I'm deep. I'm fishing much deeper and I got to get that thing right into that brush pile. Um, grass could be anything from a five sixteenths to a half where I'm not physically mm -hmm. punching grass, but I'm working down grass ledges. Um, if the bass are suspending in the grass, you could get away with a lighter sinker. But what I found, if the bass are on top of that grass, um, a Ned rig can work dynamite on it. And so could moving baits. So that's going to change your, you know, change your game plan a little bit. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the rule of thumb. And remember, you always have to pay attention where that bite came from. Did it come when you laid that, pitch that bait in there as soon as it hit the water? Did it come when it was falling down to the cover? Did it come when you were dragging it on the bottom? Because a lot of times, like I learned a trick a long time ago on Lake Wiley where I fished a 10-inch worm on a 316-ounce slip sinker and a 1-8-ounce slip sinker. Tiny. Structure fishing it. And basically, I'm just floating that thing down on the you know structural elements. And so there's times when, you know, you got to, pay attention to what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if I'm structure fishing, you know, five sixteenths, three eighths, something to keep it rooting around on the bottom. Cause traditionally I'm fishing it much deeper. So that's kind of, I mean, that's really my thing with, with, with flipping. Like the other day I went out bass fishing last week and all I had on the deck of my boat was two square bills and, and, and two flipping sticks. And none of my flipping sticks had a heavier weight than a quarter because the bass were, bass were relating to the wood. And so I'd run the square bill down both sides and through the branches. If I didn't pick one up, I picked up the flipping stick and was a little more meticulous to get into places where you couldn't get a square bill and caught them. So I was either catching them on both in the same blowdown, because I caught multiples out of most of the blowdowns, I caught more than one out of, um, you know, so I, I would use one as a follow-up technique, but because the, because the fish were in those blowdowns and in the branches on the outskirts, I wanted a lighter weight. I didn't want it on the bottom because the bass were not on the bottom. They were suspending by the trunks of the blowdowns and out into the branches. So that told me I need a lighter weight. And another thing, if you're flipping blowdowns and you know there should be fish there and you're not catching fish, you might have to go lighter. Where if you're throwing a half ounce or a three-eighth ounce, you're, you're below the fish. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be below them ever. So, you know. Uh Don said, my, dude, my ADD sucks. I try to do the punch or drag, but I mentally can't handle the slowdown. What would you say other than 
keep the rod in your hand. Well, on your hand. like how do you mentally, I mean, cause I've done that a lot with that big 10 inch worm. I mean, dude, if you're fishing at 15 foot deep, I mean, it, it's slow. <laughs> it's meticulous. It's slow. It is. It's really meticulous. Well, here's the thing with, with the punching bite, it's, you all know I'm a structure fishing guy. I mean, I just can't, I can't I can't get over myself when I can get offshore. That's where I love to be. But I love punching. Um, punching is exciting. You you usually upgrade your fish. Um, it's really exciting. So part of the problem is if you're on if you're if you're punching and you're going long periods of time before you get a bite you're not honing into what you need to be focusing on because even in punching there's patterns it could be two types of grass together it could be where the yellow cheese starts to turn dark green um you have to look at where your bites are coming from um i i look at the structure underneath the grass first Okay. If you know there's a, a hard bottom, a shell bed, a rock pile, whatever, and then the vegetation grows up and grows on top of all that, then I immediately go to the sweet spot when I'm punching, which will be the top of it. If you're fishing a big flat, like like Gunnersville's famous for these massive flats of matted grass, then I'm going to look for the ditches on these flats because the ditches is what's going to be the difference maker there and so you could you could literally look at a half a mile worth of grass and say there's 10 places where we're going to catch them through there and run to those 10 places and then you're going to get rewarded and it's not going to be mundane because you're going to actually get rewarded you're going to catch the fish with that um and punching always doesn't necessarily mean massive mats of grass mm -hmm. um at thousand islands one time in the river grass clumps would grow up against docks and there would be three foot round piles of grass around a dock pole M mega mega punch time right there because it's a specific spot it's a specific pattern and you could literally just idle down and look for any dock with the grass around the poles and then punch something through that and catch them. So you have to pay attention to that kind of thing because otherwise, when I first started punching, I hated it. I'm going to be honest with you. I hated it. It was something that I would avoid like the plague because I didn't understand what I was doing then. And I would literally go for hours dropping this weight through the grass and never getting anything. Maybe once in a while I get a bite and doing this. Then I said, hold on a second. I'm better than this. I got to figure this out. So then I went to Florida one time and I started looking for high spots and ditches and ignoring the grass. And then when I started finding the high spots and the ditches, I started catching them punching and the bell went off. And then I'm like, cool, I'm totally down with this. And I, and we got a couple lakes here that are punchable certain times. Mm -hmm. And I go there all the time just to punch. I don't, in fact, I don't even bring anything else with me because I just want to get better and better and better and better at what, at that technique. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I focus on. 
So that's the thing with the punching game. It's it's a it's a game of patience, but you still have to pattern it. It's still a patternable venture. Just because it's a matted junk clump of grass doesn't mean that that's going to be where the bass are at. You have to find this the structure or the hard bottom or where different vegetations meet. Um, what, that's one thing I do on Champlain all the time when I when I run the grass over there is I look for for cabbage grass milfoil or cabbage grass and coontail. And every time I find a small patch of cabbage in a different type of vegetation, I'm getting the bites. And so I'll, I'll spend more time standing up in the boat, idling down a grass line, looking for where the different vegetation is. And I can, you can cover miles of the stuff in no time and just drop them in on your GPS where the different patches are. Uh, you look like you got to say something. Well, I mean, I don't think it needs to be said, but it just crossed my mind. Could you imagine if we lived in a day and time where you actually had to like watch out for the plague when you left the house? Like, like at some point in history, someone legitimately was like, honey, uh, I'm going to go out and try to catch a caribou or whatever. And she said, avoid the plague. <laughs> And there was a chance that every time you went out into your village that the, the plague was going to jump up and bite you. Dude, how did you get there? I just you said got, that you're avoiding it like the plague. You said, oh, yeah, okay, I, I got it. That I avoided <laughs> punching like the plague. For the last five minutes, I've been like, man, it would suck if we that actually is... had to worry about avoiding the plague. Anyway, like I said, it didn't need to be said, but you, you brought it up. <laughs> That's so funny. You actually it's brought it a, up. It's been a hell yes. of a day so that far. Is, uh, uh, Sean with a legit question. How do I find structure when the grass is so thick? That's it easy. as the lake bottom. You have to go out in the wintertime when the grass has died back and side image it. Oh, Ryan, um, right there. Okay, Ryan. Sean. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Ryan, my man, um, he's jumping the shark. Yeah. So you got, I know where, I know where you live. I know what lakes you're talking about. You have to get out there in the winter time and you got to do a lot of work. Um, some of the best spots in grass lakes that I find is in the winter. Um, a lot of the grass lakes up North where they're clear, the grass dies back, but it never goes away completely. And so you got to read your sonar and look for the hot spots in, in the grass, but the grass will die back enough where you're going to see that stuff. And remember grass can't grow on rock. So when it dies back, the hard bottom will be bare. And that's what you got to look for. You got to look for those bare spots and then your punch game will go up sky high after that, because you'll, you'll have, you'll be, you'll be punching on everywhere you need to be dropping a weight. And that, and then it gets really good for you. Then, did you have any idea that the plague killed between seventy-five and two hundred million people? No, is that the bubonic? Yeah, the Black Death, also known as uh, the Great Mortality or the plague. Didn't that come from um... Western Eurasia and North Africa from thirteen forty-six to thirteen fifty-three? It's the most fatal pandemic in human history. Didn't that come from rye seeds? Uh, is caused by the bacterium something spread by fleas. Oh, all right. During the Black Tith 2, it also took secondary form spread by person-to-person contact via aerosols. I do not know what body part that is. 
I have no clue what you're saying. I'm staying away from the plague. Oh, fine. <laughs> fine particles are liquid droplets. So they're airborne. Yeah. It's wow. spread by air and liquid. Great. Well, uh, that hey, Matt, way to cheer up the day, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> way to cheer up the day, dude. We we show we show Matt having panic attacks on the boat when he catches a big one, and now we're talking about a plague that wipes out half the country. <laughs> can, can we talk about uh, swim jigs? Yeah, and I'm doing football that. Heads? I'm doing that right now. Okay, you should cut me off. <laughs> Next on our list is swim jigs. <laughs> How's that? Is that good, Matt? <laughs> so, fantastic. So, so next on the list is swim jigs, and probably, in my opinion, the least understood. Very easy, but the least understood. So the most important um, thing you got to look for or pay attention to with your swim jig is your retrieve. <laughs> it takes well. It is the it is Halloween season. It is the spooky time of year. Um, so I I can't read those comments. I got to get back to the. I got to get back to this. So the most important thing with the swim jig is your retrieve. So where in the water column do you need to be? So what happens is, am I smoking this thing back to the boat just underneath the surface? Am I fishing it two feet deep, doing the Alabama shake through the gator grass and stuff like that? Or am I slow rolling it off of deep weed edges? Big difference. So the common sizes, now, now, I, now honestly, I, I like the mobster swim jig the best. It skips a mile. It comes through everything effortlessly. And it, they have a size that's my favorite size for a swim jig, which is the 5 sixteenths. Um, but the common sizes are quarter, 5 sixteenths, 3 eighths, half. Um, so here's what we're going we're gonna to talk about. So I have a retrieve that I call floating the swim bait. Okay. I mean, so floating the swim jig. So, so what I do with this retrieve is it's a slow, methodical retrieve. I keep the bait really close to the surface, especially if I'm fishing shallower grass. I don't want it bogging up in the grass. I want it ticking over the tops of it, punching through some of the errant strands. Um, so I'm going to go with the 5 sixteenths, and, and here I'll put a bigger trailer on it to make it even more buoyant. Um, an another thing that you can do is um, when you're doing the burning it back to the boat, okay, the weight that you're going to pick when you do this depends on the speed of the retrieve that the bass want. So, for example, if if they want this bait just under the surface, screaming back to the boat, a quarter ounce or a five sixteenths isn't going to let you do that because you're going to you're going to bounce it on top of the water. Um, so then you want to go to the three eighths. You want to go to the half. You want to keep it. Get something that you can keep it under the surface and scream it back to the boat. Okay. Now, conversely, if they want it, shake you're shaking it and it's six inches under the water, nice and slow, but a steady retrieve. You can go to the quarter, go to the five sixteenths. Um, it's perfect for that. Um, a trick and one of my favorites. Um, I I will slow roll these things 
in the cold water periods late 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 fall winter ice out conditions that early spring before the water starts to get into the 50 degree range i'll slow roll them then i'm going to use my 5 sixteenths I'm going to use a big pulse minnow trailer on it because it really slows the bait down. It's got a, that pulse has a lot of drag, so it really slows the bait down. And I'll just creep it with a low speed retrieve reel. And all I'm doing is I'm slowing it down so slow it's, it's painful, but the bites are amazing and the fish react to it. And most of the time I'm fishing that on deep grass flats or slow tapering grass flats. Um, that's where I'm really fishing this. Now it works on structure also, but there can be better structure fishing techniques, but it's deadly on a boat dock lake. It's absolutely deadly on the boat docks in cold water periods um, because you can control where you want it in the water column, which is, which is fantastic. And rule of thumb, five sixteenths, zero to 10 quarter zero to four half ounce 10 to 20 is, is what i do when i'm doing the slow roll stuff kind of keep it simple mm -hmm. um but i don't overpower it i i have a lot of guys that all they throw is a half ounce yeah that's me i don't throw a swim jig that much and i, I, mean, and I got I, a half yeah. ounce or a half ounce and that's why i kind of asked you before i was like yeah. can you kind of go over where when you yeah, you're going to want to look at lighter weights on the swim jig because mm -hmm. you're going to get more effectiveness out of it. Because a lot of times, especially on some of the lakes um, that are choked out with gator grass and that big, heavy, viney grass stuff, a, a slower, floatier presentation gives the bass more time to get on that bay, mm -hmm. get through the crap to get onto that bay. Now, is there any reason to even have a football jig in your arsenal that's not a three-quarter ounce? I mean... It's three quarter ounce. You can do everything with it, right? I, you carry a number of different weights, though. I carry, well, quite frankly, I carry a nine sixteenths. I carry a half a nine sixteenths and a three quarter. Um, and and basically, um, my nine sixteenths is a little less than a three quarter. That's mostly what I'm structure fishing with. Um, the three quarter comes into play when I want to grind it and keep it moving. Um, it's like with my, with my, with my, um, halves and my nine sixteenths, I'm fishing it more like a Carolina rig where I'm dragging okay. it over the stuff. But when I go to the three quarter, I'm just. So sometimes you're throwing a three quarter in the shallowest stuff and you're throwing the nine sixteenths in deeper water, which 100%. would be converse, but is more effective. hundred percent because I'm fishing the three quarter more like a wobblehead. Yep. Um, maybe not as fast as you'd fish a wobblehead pretty much just like a wobblehead just, just um, slow like show me your retrieve on that i'm just retrieving it and you're feeling doo -doo -doo, stuck yeah. lying tight pops free stuck, lying tight gets on something stop it pop it let it sit back to the slow retrieve perfect that's okay. perfect yeah because um back in the day we didn't have the wobblehead and yeah. so that's what we did um and it's so effective that i'm like well okay i'm you know, I'm, I'm old school in a lot of ways. Um, it works for me. So I stay with it, but you can't, you can't ignore the wobblehead either, but I'm not doing a wobblehead show, but you can't ignore that either. Um, 
probably the next would be the Demiki rig style. Um, I, again, um, this is more, this is, yeah, counting rocks. No, no lie, Jim, counting the rocks. Um, the Demiki rig, this technique's predominantly a forward facing game. Um, and your jig heads can vary a lot from a one tenth of an ounce all the way to three quarters of an ounce. Um, here, you know, your weight choice depends on a few variables. How deep are you fishing? How much wind do you have? And the movement of the bass, which is probably the most critical, most critical. If the bass are constantly moving, you got to get something down to them fast because they're they're here and then they're here. So you don't have time to feather a light, you know, Demiki rig down to them. You got to you got to cast it out there, get it down to them and and get it where they are. Traditionally that's going to create that's going to take you a heavier weight to do that. If the bass are stationary and they're on structure and the bait fish is above them and they're not leaving that structure, that's prime time for the lighter weight mm -hmm. because now you can finesse your way through those bass easily. So that's, that's kind of how I do um, the Demiki rig deal. Um, you just got to remember, are, are the fish sedentary or are they, you know, moving all the time? If they're stationary, lighter weight friendly, if they're moving all the time, you got to go to a heavier weight. <laughs> and, and basically it's easy. Your, your weight choice is based on the mood of the bass, the depth you're fishing and the wind, um, essentially. Okay. Is, is how that the Demiki rig goes. Um, Carolina rigs, pretty easy stuff. I mean, um, for the most part, I absolutely stay with a three-quarter ounce almost 90% of the time. Um, I very rarely um, get off a three-quarter ounce on the Carolina rig, but there are exceptions where I go light. I'm talking like, you know, a quarter, five-sixteenths, or a three-eighths. Usually when I do this, I'm, I'm finesse fishing and I'm going to rig it with much lighter line, probably throw it on a spinning rod at times. Um, I've tried it. I do this in, in, uh, for pre-spawn when it's a secondary point pattern or when they're on those very shallow gravel high spots on the flats, um, mostly inland lakes. I barely very almost never do this on, you know, the Great Lakes, um, mostly inland. I started doing it for inland smallmouths where I would finesse fish a, a, a small craw bait, like a spine craw or a tube or a zoom a speed craw, something small in nature. The, like, the, like the, I can't wait to actually do this um, with the Great Lakes finesse craw that the, the um, that little tiny craw Great Lakes finesse has. Yeah. I can't wait to do this with that because that thing stands pincher up. It's a tiny little morsel. It'll be deadly on the quarter ounce Carolina rig. Um, the snack craw will be absolutely deadly on that presentation. Um, and so I can't wait to start playing with that, uh, which I just got mine in. So as soon as the so you have to use like a one aught EWG on that. Yeah, I'll use a tinier hook on it for sure. Um, the hook, the hook size doesn't matter to me on that technique. I just want the right hook for the, the thickness of the plastic. 
um, and the length of the plastic. But that's, you know, that's, that's normally how I'm fishing inland smallmouth. Um, it works on largemouth and it really works on spotted bass too. It just depends um, how, how finicky those fish are going to be and how pressured they are as to if I go to that or not. Because a lot of times the smallmouth, I mean, the spotted bass lakes, um, a shaky head or a drop shot gets the job done. But I've seen times where you can't beat the, you can't beat the light Carolina rig. Mm -hmm. You could cover more water more effectively faster that way. Mojo rig. Yeah. I mean, that's how it started. Split shot rig is probably how it started. Right. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it for the sinker stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do, I do have, you know, you could, you could make a heavier sinker fish lighter by beefing up your line size. Um, that's a very common thing in our game. You could beef the line size up, get a slower fall out of a quarter, get a slower fall out of a three eighths or a five sixteenths. Um, but here's what you got to remember. You don't want to impair or kill the action. And so some baits don't, won't work properly if they don't fall properly. So you just pay attention to that when you're beefing up your line size. Um, another, another thing with that I do a lot, um, my spinner baits, I'm always, I always mess around with my spinner baits because I have, um, my spinner bait fishing is very simple. Uh, I look at a couple of things. Am I going to float a spinnerbait? Am I going to slow roll a spinnerbait? Or am I going to burn a spinnerbait? Um, those are basically the three three retrieves that you're going to do with a spinnerbait. And the bass are going to totally always let you know what you're doing when it comes to that, how they react to the bait. So, for example, if I'm going to float a spinnerbait, everyone's like, okay, what's, well, how do you float a spinnerbait? So if I'm fishing shallow, shallow grass or <clears throat> blowdowns that are not, that are not on, um, steep banks, steep banks, I don't want it where I have to rip it past the blowdown. I want to keep it in high in the water column, moving real slow. So that, mm -hmm. so that's when I'll take my quarter ounce spinner baits or my five sixteenth ounce spinner baits, and I bump up the the back blade. I bump it up a size or a half a size, depending on how slow I want it to go. Now, remember, when you're monkeying with blade sizes on spinner baits, you could unbalance your spinner bait where it wants to run sideways. This is a kind of a good lesson if you're slow rolling or floating a spinner bait, because if you're moving it too fast, it's going to start to turn sideways on you so that that tells you you're fishing it too fast it's kind of a real good gauge to to know how fast you got to have to retrieve it the other thing i like to do is i take my half ounce spinner baits and i take both blades off of them i bump up the colorado blade in the front and i'll bump up the willow in the back here i'll show you i got one rigged here for example like this is a this is um the, the covert finesse spinnerbait. It's got a real, look at that. It's got a real small frame covert finesse. Mm -hmm. I took the blades off of it. I put a bigger Colorado blade 
on it and a bigger willow blade on Ooh, it. That so, looks really good. Dude, this is this is special. I'm gonna I, I don't know how I can do this to no, show No, you're you. showing it perfectly. So you I'll can just, tell those blades do look abnormally large for the frame of that bait. Correct. So this is what I'll do to my half ounces. It's the slow roll bait. I can creep this bait along. It's not bogging down in the bottom and I can fish it slower. So when the bass want a bigger presentation, but they're not running it down, that's my go-to um, because it slows it down enough. Now here again, if I'm going to burn it, you're, you're shit out of luck when it comes to this setup because it's not a burnable bait. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do if I'm going to burn a spinner bait is I'll have the blade sizes down a half blade size for the weight that I want to throw. And most of the time, if I'm burning a spinner bait, I'm usually burning a three quarter ounce. Um, and I'm usually fishing smallmouth for it. Um, I haven't found there are times when largemouth fishing, you can actually smash them burning it. But for the most part, I, I mostly finesse fish my spinner baits. So I want to slow them down. And so to do that, I just bump up a blade size. No big deal. It's easy to do. Um, you know, in the covert series run with Hildebrandt's anyway, so I'm not wasting blades mm -hmm. because I save all my Hildebrandt blades. So I'm not wasting blades. And, and that's pretty much my spinnerbait tricks. My spinnerbait box is probably one of the easiest boxes I have. We've really. done that. Uh, we've done a, BTL on that before on how you keep your blades in different packages, different sizes, right. whether you're dealing with pretty much uh, Colorado or a willow right. in gold or silver, you keep the frames, you have the components, the beads, the split rings yep. and all that you package it all. So it doesn't rust. And you basically have 500 different spinner baits in one tackle box. Right. And I don't have to carry, right. And I don't have to carry a million pre-rig spinner baits. Um, and I can make my adjustments on the water and that's, that's pretty much how I do that. But I love the finesse series. I love the bot. I love the, how compact it is. Uh, that's my favorite thing about it. Mm -hmm. It's such a compact bait and it's less than 10 bucks. Yeah. It's less than 10 bucks and it fishes really well. Um, the hooks are fantastic in it. Um, the wire's great. And, the, and they get a lot, they get, you get a lot of vibration and thump out of that bait. And so then I just, I, I do my tweaks for my specialty game. I, uh, I discovered something. I discovered a secret portal on the LureNet site that I think is overlooked. I was showing it to you before. This is LureNet. So, you know, you always talk about the Bank and Creek stuff with some of your custom colors that they've had in the past. I thought, oh, that yeah, was yeah. Only available on the bank and creek kits so if you go to lurenet.com and click on the september october bank and creek bag there's the uh the rebel the, frog the possessed frog there that <laughs> just rotate the torso rotates anyway scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page and then it says limited availability shop custom baits because there's only 300 of these but when you click on that i guess they have some extras or maybe I don't know what, or they made some additional ones, but here are some of the popular yeah, banking Creek additional colors like the uh, bleeding pearl boyo 
Yeah, the, the the that I did that color. That that um that color is amazing, and that the Boyo's a great bait because it's got the body width of a, a Super Spook Junior, and it casts like a Super Spook Junior, but it's a smaller bait, and so it's just a really great bait. Um, I want to say for the a subtle presentation, but it kind of it fishes like a Super Spook Junior, but it gives you the small profile which is why i like it so much just some different i just like i said not a not a huge breaking news thing but just if you were there was something that you were looking for some of the unique colors there there's like a little bit a little middle end and then uh i think this is one of your colors isn't it the crazy shad and pumpkin seed yeah the stock crazy up for shad. that during the bluegill spawn next year 100 percent. um and then there's a a cotton cordell big o and stickleback i designed that specifically for the creek anglers that represents a common stickleback which is found in most streams creeks and rivers but if you wanted to just pick up these you, you don't have to buy the whole bank and creek bag now that right there is an interesting color that is a metallic pumpkin seed yeah. chrome pumpkin seed and a tiny end which is probably dynamite if if the water's off color and you need a little flash, but you still want some representation mm -hmm. of a bluegill. And then probably the two biggest baits for what we're coming up into as far as time of the year would be the speed end and orange belly craw. Yeah, that's just that's just a money color, dude. And uh, and the old standard is that is that the like if if I'm thinking of the spot colors, I'm thinking of chrome black back, chrome blue back, and that color. Yeah. 100%. That's a good crawdad color for that. And you got to remember that the, 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 the Cordell spot, it's different than the Booyah um, hard knocker and one knocker mm -hmm. in the sense that the, the spot displaces more water. So you could get away with, if you had a half, if you, let's say you had a half ounce um, Booyah hard knocker and then you had a half ounce spot. You could literally fish the spot in shallower where the vegetation doesn't come all the way to the surface, shallower than you could, even though they're both halves, because the spot displaces a little more water. So the drag forces it to ride higher in the water column. Again, here we're talking about, you know, with the weight game today, um, how to how to get if you need to get a bait running shallower, but you need that you need that half ounce size, that's how you do it. You, you run them in tandem where you'll fish the, the hard knocker on the deeper stuff and you'll fish the super spot on the shallower stuff. And then you said tomorrow, the tomorrow. crappie drops. What's it called? What, crop, real, what kind of crappie? Real crappie. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it was actually designed to mimic a real crappie. Um, this doesn't you know. do it justice with the... Uh, no, because you can't. You can't see and the, the smoke pearls and right. uh, anyway, mine will never see the water. To be honest with you, because you wrote it and it said BTL crappie and hand, these are some hand painted gems. They have a spot in the studio. Perfect. Well, you'll be well tomorrow. You'll be tomorrow. You'll be able to get the ones you could fish with. Is that a paint shop deal or? Yeah. Okay, so there's three hundred of them. Mm -hmm. Paint shop or lure net exclusive one of the yeah. two it'll be there you'll find it it'll have a banner i'm sure of it all right man i might get a call about this show <laughs> we covered them 
<laughs> what what call are you gonna get except for you know the bubonic plague? Yeah. That um, was a that was a that was quite a trail you went down there, Matthew. Yeah, <laughs> quite the trail. I don't think you can ever go wrong telling big bass stories. No, you can't. Not to a fisherman. Because everyone's got one. Tell everyone about the pumpkin contest, Frank. Okay, so guys, get creative. Carve up something out of a pumpkin. Keep it clean. Um, Preferably BTL day four, Frank Scalish related. Yeah, like, you know. Uh, uh, listen, I don't want to give away anyone's ideas, but there are. Don't, don't give away ideas. And we'll have baits we can give away. Plenty there are some fantastic Frank silhouettes available, is all I'll say. <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about? I believe I do. It's old. I believe I know exactly which one. Would that sucker about. not look amazing in the fall crisp evening air lit up with the single flickering candle? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it'd be amazing. All right. Be the scariest <laughs> pumpkin ever made. <laughs> They would ban it. They would abolish it. Anyway, winners get DD twenty two full set of all the new colors and a full set of Fat Boys in all the new colors. Which, if everything goes well, I should have here in my possession on Friday. Guys, the support for uh, not only BTL but also Day Four, uh, amazing. You're actually kind of making a difference when it comes to what is on the marketplace. They're listening to the BTL listeners. We're listening as far yeah. as when it comes to the uh, apparel and stuff like that. Uh, Frank is just going to take his chunk and put it right back in the crappie game, but probably rotten bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but I do also uh, want to put on everybody's horizon. Uh, if you are considering or have been wanting to go to a Bassmaster classic, uh, it's October, March is the 2024 classic on Grand Lake. Uh, you know, I, uh, in, a, in a past lifetime, Frank, I lived in Tulsa for several years and uh, great town, great downtown scene, great Bassmaster classic venue and outdoor expo. Uh, Pradco, Lurinette will have a big presence at that classic along with you. You'll be there. Right. And we I have a uh, we have a very, very big surprise um, for the first hundred or so people. Um, Matt and I will be we'll announce it when we get closer, when we're going to be at the um, booth and where we're going to be. Um, and it is going to be a lot of fun. And I want to, I'm hoping that we have a, a huge crowd mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll make it a lot of fun for everybody. Now here's um, the deal. Since it is my home state and stuff, if, if you guys, if you think if, if you're, if we get a lot of people that say, Hey, we're going to be there and something, I might try to set up an evening, an informal evening where it's just, Hey, Frank's going to be trying to eat five dozen wings at this location. <laughs> <laughs> 7 p.m. If you want to come watch the carnage, yeah, the address. 100%, dude. And I, I'll be smashing them five dozen wings and a dozen and a half Coors Lights will be good yeah. to go. Uh, you got I, anything else for today? I feel like we kind of covered them. A... No, we went to we do, we did really good. We went to the you know, 
1800 bubonic plague all the way to 1300s and uh, i might i might have looked up the wrong plague (laughs) 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 there was there had to have been one in the 1800s too oh boy matt catch a big one tomorrow yeah no btl tomorrow uh i'm headed I'm headed to try catch a PB. All right, this has been another edition of BTL and day four with the man Frank Scalish. Talk to everybody Monday. See ya.